0: So we have been journeying through Romans for the last few weeks, and as we come to uh, our last week in Romans, and for our intents and purposes, our last week uh, dealing with Romans as a whole, uh, is anybody ready to like actually get to some, or to move from the the wildly abstract and theoretical stuff of Romans and move to some like actual concrete um, practical sorts of things? Yeah, me too, right? Yeah, all right. Uh, So some good news and some bad news. Uh, The good news is we will get to the concrete and the practical, uh, but the bad news is we got to swim in some theoretical and abstract waters for a few minutes, but let's be honest, that's where all the fun stuff is anyways, yeah? So Romans chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 1, begins, so, or as other translations put it, therefore... Now, uh, this isn't just another word and all of the abundance of words in Romans, but this is a really significant word. And what I'm about to tell you, please know, I, I despise myself for what I'm about to say. And you'll, you'll understand this in just a second. But it will forever change the way that you engage with scripture, okay? Whenever we encounter a therefore in scripture, we need to ask ourselves, what is it there? For. Yes, okay. Yes, I hate myself for it. Yes, it is so cheesy, so bad, but it's so important um, because as one scholar notes, uh, particular, pertaining to Romans 12 here, that therefore is an invitation to connect the dots, to learn together what it looks like to live as the Jesus people. The chapters that follow lay out what we should be seeing and doing if the Spirit truly has given us victory over sin and death, building on Romans 5 and 8. They depict the surprising, diverse, expansive community that we belong to as the people of God, building on Romans 9 through 11. They describe the life of faithfulness, morality, and ethics that is created after the law, in Paul's words, no longer governs us. Paul's whole point is that the arrival of Jesus changes everything. We don't look to Moses to get our trajectory. We look to the resurrected Lord Jesus. Both our lives as individual persons and our life together as the people of God should tell the Jesus story. All of that gets swallowed up in this word, so, or this word, therefore. It's pregnant with this sort of anticipation of where this whole thing is going. It's not a movement on from everything that Paul has said, but rather it looks back to the past, Romans 1 through 11, and takes all of that and brings it to this culmination point, puts a nice bow on it and says, because of that now, this is how we ought to live. Remember that like the primary question, the primary tension all throughout Romans is this question of how do we go about being the people of God together? And so for the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul is uh, grappling with this question uh, and trying to explain how it is that we've been made the people of God together. Remember, the church in Rome was primarily this Jewish community following Jesus, They were then expelled from Rome and this Jewish community following Jesus became a Gentile community, a non-Jewish community following Jesus. The Jews then return a number of years later and ask, like, what happened to our church? And now they're trying to grapple with this reality of being this diverse, multicultural, multi-ethnic church, trying to figure out what it means to be the people of God together. So Paul is wrestling with this idea of, first off, how have we been made the people of God together? How has the Jesus story spoken into the Jewish story fulfilled the Jewish story? And how has it spoken into the Gentile story and grafted them into the Jewish story, making them part of the people of God as well? And then we get to Romans 12 and beyond, and Paul then gets to the practical sorts of things of like, here's what it means. Like, here's how we then live into this reality. And all of that begins with this, therefore. So we keep reading so or therefore brothers and sisters and by the way this isn't just another like nicety of paul like i think this is paul either subtly or not so subtly reminding them of all of this reality that indeed if you've been made the people of god you are sisters and brothers siblings in the family of god paul is just continuing to push this idea that you've been made one people in the body of jesus so brothers and sisters because of god's mercies I encourage you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. In the first century, this idea of sacrifice and worship would have gone hand in hand. And essentially what Paul is saying here is like, live all of your life, treat all of your life as an act of worship. From the very moment that you wake up, to the way that you uh, engage with your children or your partner, to the way that you handle conflict and disputes uh, at your workplace, the way that you hold the door open for somebody at the grocery store, the way that you wave at your neighbor when you pull into your neighborhood, all of this is meant to be seen as an act of worship and an act of honoring God and honoring our neighbor. And then Paul turns his attention here and says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. Verse 2 begins with this phrase, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. And what's interesting here is that this word that gets translated as world um, is probably actually better translated as age. Age. And not age as in like my age, how many years I've been living, or the age of my car, how old it is. But age with like a capitalized A, meaning like a, a chunk of history or a section of history. Like when we talk about like the prehistoric age, right? See, all throughout Romans, Paul has been inviting us to think in terms of ages. Uh, he talks about this present age, what we might call the present age. And this is the one that has been ruled and controlled by the powers of sin and death. Again, sin not lowercase, sin not these individual acts that we do, but sin with like a bold capitalized S. Like this very real presence and power and force, this thing behind the thing of our individual acts, the thing that is breaking us, that's breaking one another, that's breaking the creation, that sets up these oppressive and unjust systems that break us over and over again. This sort of power and force but Paul points to another age not just this present age but what we might call the age to come this is an age in which uh, the glory of God is being revealed to us the weightiness of God The heaviness of God, the goodness of God, the love, the peace, the justice, the mercy of God, the redemption and the renewal of all things coming from the very hand of God being revealed to us. It's an age in which Jesus takes his rightful place on the throne as king of the world. And for Paul, we find ourselves having a foot in both of these ages, almost as like bridge people. We have our foot in this present age because this is the present age. This is the world in which we find ourselves. This is one where we experience things like pain and suffering and loss and injustice. But for those who have, uh, of us who have given ourselves to the Jesus story, we also find ourselves with a foot in the age to come. We've gotten a taste of what things, where things are headed, of what things can look like. And we find ourselves then as like these bridge sort of people. And yet, despite having a foot in both of these ages, this does not mean that like we can kind of shift back and forth. That in this present age, as we come across the pain and the suffering, the loss and injustice, that we can respond with the, the ways of this present age. And then we, ha- we can jump back to the ways of the age to come and engage in those sorts of things. But rather, for those of us who have given ourselves to the Jesus story, our posture isn't even so much this as it is this we have given ourselves fully to this age to come. We've given ourselves fully to this Jesus story. And this, then, um, is where we get our cues from. This does not mean that we ignore the present age, the pain and the suffering and the loss, but it means that as we turn our attention to them and confront the pain and loss and suffering and injustice, we do so not on its own terms, but on terms of the age to come and the Jesus story that we've given ourselves over to. And so Paul says then, do not be conformed to the patterns of this age which the the patterns of this age are the patterns of violence the patterns of exploitation the patterns of manipulation the patterns of coercion the patterns of us versus them and this is where like this translation is so unfortunate that we've left it at like do not be conformed to the patterns of this world versus the patterns of this age because when we hear world we think of like our world so many of our discussions uh, surround itself around like, well, can Christians drink certain beverages? Can Christians listen to certain types of music? Can Christians listen to or watch certain types of movies? Instead of like actually turning our attention to the things that break us and break others and break the world around us and set up these oppressive and unjust systems around us. Uh, this past week, we actually saw, like, I think, a, a really profound way that uh, it's so easy for us to be conformed to these, uh, this present age. Uh, so there was a, a big celebration and holiday this past weekend. Can anybody tell me what it was? Memorial Day. Memorial Day. No, it was not. It was Pentecost. The birthday of the church. <laughs> like in a room full of followers of Jesus, our mind should go to that. And yet, what does our mind go to? Memorial Day. A day that is like defined by the celebration of like, these deliberate defenses and building up of borders through the use of violence, manipulation, exploitation, coercion, us versus them. Rather than the celebration of the birthday of this church, this deliberate dismantling and tearing down of borders to create this multi-ethnic, uh, multicultural sort of movement following Jesus. <laughs> Uh, I saw this in a really striking way uh, on Memorial Day, actually. Uh, I was watching the men's uh, lacrosse national championship for one reason. Notre Dame was in it. Uh, and I would never speak ill of Notre Dame except in this moment. Yeah? Uh, Notre Dame had uh, never won a national championship in lacrosse, and so this was a really big deal. And uh, they were interviewing one of their best players afterwards, and... Uh, Uh, this player had, like, pulled his hamstring really bad. Uh, I heard people talking about it. Like, you could see under his shorts, like, it was just bruised. Like, he had pulled it that bad that, like, it was bruising on the surface. And they said, hey, how did you do it? Like, how did you pull it off and play the whole game? he said, you know, my buddy, my teammate, sent me a text about a story of a soldier who had been shot 20 times, got up, grabbed his gun, and killed two of his enemies. And I thought you know, Notre Dame's a Catholic institution. (laughs) And here we have like a a scholar athlete representing this institution, talking and praising like the killing of an enemy. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word enemy, I I recall Jesus's words. I love your enemies. (laughs) And I think like it's just, this just speaks to how easy it is to be conformed to the patterns of this age. And Paul says, don't do it. As another uh, uh, translation puts it, don't let the present age squeeze us into its mold. Why? Because we've been liberated from this present age. We've been liberated from the powers of sin and death. We are now people of the age to come. And Paul says, don't turn our backs on that. Don't let this present age that breaks us, breaks others, breaks the world, creates these unjust systems continue to shape and form us, but allow ourselves to be shaped and formed by the age to come, by the Jesus story. Itself. Now, remember, Paul is not talking to uh, a random group of individuals, but rather Paul here is talking and writing to a community. A community of people who have given themselves to the Jesus story. A community that we might even call, like, the church and I think in Romans, and as we begin to turn our attention then to Romans chapter 12, like, we begin to get a glimpse at Paul's imagination for what this, this thing that we call the church could be or is even meant to be. And it seems that for Paul, the church is meant to be an alternative community with an alternative ethic, living into the alternative Jesus story. It's an alternative community, a community that, that looks different than all of the other communities around us. A community with a, an ethic that looks different than the ethic all around us, living into a different story than the story around us. But as you might guess, like, with all of that alternativeness, like, it doesn't come natural to us, right? Um, it can be a bit counterintuitive at times. And so we need to like, be able to give ourselves like, the space and the grace to, to practice living into it. And this is where I think, like, uh, the church um, is something like a, a practice field, if you will. Uh, like, this is a, a chance for, for us to have that space and that grace to to try out this alternative ethic as we live into this alternative story. Uh, so, all throughout high school, uh, I played football. Uh, here's a picture of me my senior year. Look at that tough guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, by the way, I look that way without a beard, which is why I have one, so I don't look 18 for the rest of my life. But... Um, anyways, uh, so, I played offensive lineman. If you know nothing about football, just think like the biggest, the strongest, of course, uh, and the smartest, of course, on the field, right? And this is where like all of the big violent sort of collisions happen, play after play after play. Like you are the biggest and the strongest moving the next biggest and strongest people on the field. So what would you think your first step would be if you're going to move somebody that's as big and as strong as you? Maybe something like big and over-exaggerated and wild to like get them moving. And you would be wrong. I played for a number of coaches throughout my high school career. And every single day at practice, we did the exact same thing. We would get into our stance and we would take our first step and practice our first step, which was not this big over-exaggerated thing. It was this right here. The key to moving somebody who's bigger and stronger than you is a proper first step, which looks like a six-inch small little step. And so, because that's so alternative, because that's so counterintuitive, each and every day we would get in our stance, we would practice our six-inch step, time after time after time, until it just became second nature for us. See, when there are things that feel counterintuitive, when there are things that feel alternative to us, it takes some practice, it takes some work, it takes some intentionality, and when it When it comes to this alternative, being this alternative community with this alternative ethic, living into this alternative Jesus story, I think it takes some work, some practice, some intentionality, and we need to give ourselves the space and the grace to to practice it out, to try it out, to put these principles, these ethic into practice, to put flesh and blood on it. And I think that that's what the church is meant to be. We practice it here so that then we can go out and be good news to the world around us. So what does it look like then to uh, be an alternative community, living into this alternative ethic? What are these like fundamentals of this Jesus story that we've uh, been invited into? Well, here's where we get to the practical parts of Paul, yeah? So here, Paul says, Because of the grace that God gave me, I can say to each one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Instead, be reasonable, since God has measured out a portion of faith to each one of you. We have many parts in one body, but the parts don't have all the same function. In the same way, though there are many of us, we are one body in Christ. And individually, we belong to each other. We have different gifts that are consistent with God's grace that has been given to us. If your gift is prophecy, you should prophesy in proportion to your faith. If your gift is service, devote yourself to serving. If your gift is teaching, devote yourself to teaching. If your gift is encouragement, devote yourself to encouraging. And the one giving uh, should do it with no strings attached. The leader should lead with passion and the one showing mercy should be cheerful. Paul points to the reality that we as the the community of those who have given ourselves to Jesus belong to a body that we call the church. And Paul here speaks of like the reality of a body and how there's many parts to it and encourages us to think about ourselves as like one of those parts. We should hear within this like a little bit of like comfort and challenge in a few different ways. There's a bit of challenge here to like, the dude in the boardroom, uh, you know what I'm talking about, because it's always a dude who like thinks that if he steps out of this role, like the whole thing will come crashing down. Um, Paul says, "Like you're not the body, dude. <laughs> you're one part of it. Remember your role, your part within the body. You're not the whole thing. You're just one part of it." But I think there's also a bit of challenge to the. The not dude in the boardroom, uh, the person who, quiet, who is quietly serving and doing everything behind the scenes, but is doing so frantically and anxiously because they're worried that like if they don't, nobody else will. And I think there's a sense of comfort here of like, you're one part of the body. <laughs> you don't have to do it all. But on the opposite end, I think there's also a bit of challenge and comfort there too. Because for those that want to show up and just kind of like take but not give, Paul says like, You're part of the body. (laughs) You have a role to play. You have a gift to offer. So what is that gift and how can you offer it? But again, there's a bit of comfort here as well for those who show up and don't give because they think that their voice and their talents and their gifts don't matter. And Paul says a message of comfort to them of your gifts matter. You have a role to play in all of this. So Paul here is is begging us, asking us, what is our gift? What what has God given to us? And how can we use that for the greater good of the community around us? Uh, I think we see this really practically uh, here at the church that we call, and it's local, it's local expression of First Mennonite. If you've been here like more than a minute, you know it takes a lot of hands, a lot of energy to like make this thing tick in the way that we feel like God has called us to. Uh, so, you know, uh, I can't sing and uh, I can't, Teach kids. Uh, if you think my jokes are bad, you should try and be like a, a child listening to them because they just end up terrified of me. But I've discovered over time, like, you give me a Bible, give me some space to think and pray, I can put together a halfway decent teaching. Yeah. Maybe uh, you find yourself thinking, like, I can't teach. Uh, I can't. Um, uh, I can't work with kids. They terrify me more than I terrify them. But like, I can sing. Hey, good news. Uh, Singing is a big part of our life here, right? Uh, I'm not fooled by the reality that, like, you don't remember words to a sermon on Wednesday morning, but you remember words to a song, right? It's an important part of our life. So if that's what you do, do it. Great. Maybe you're like, I can't teach. Uh, I, can't, uh, I can't sing, but I'm good with kids. Great. I don't know if you noticed during worship, but there's about a billion of them in this room, right? And I don't know if you've looked at the worship schedule lately, but there's about a billion blank slates, right, of needs for volunteers. And so if that's the case, like, please, you're shaping the next generation. Like We can totally use your help with that. Maybe you're like, I can't do any of that, but I love to just serve behind the scenes. Great. <laughs> we have a number of things to do with that as well. I say all of this not to guilt us into any of this, but like just to remind us, like what we're doing here is somehow like caught up in the mysterious, mysterious body of Christ. And Paul, for whatever reason, believes that God has given each of us a role, a part within that body. What's the gift that you've been given and how can you contribute it to the greater good of this body? Paul continues on here then. He says, love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you're in trouble and devote yourselves to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. Bless people who harass you. Bless and don't curse them. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Consider, yourself, consider everyone as equal and don't think that you're better than anyone else. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think that you're so smart. Paul is full of great one-liners like that, by the way, right? Uh, don't pay back anyone for their evil actions with evil actions, but show respect for what everyone else believes is good. If possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. Don't try to get revenge for yourself, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, revenge belongs to me, I will pay it back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. By doing this, you will pile burning coals of fire upon his head. Don't be defeated by evil, but defeat evil with good. Now, uh, if you've never read... uh, Romans chapter 12 before, but perhaps you have read, say, Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, specifically Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which we call the Sermon on the Mount. Hopefully Romans 12 sounds very familiar, yeah? (laughs) Because scholars seem to think that Paul is, like, drawing extensively from the Sermon on the Mount here. Uh, It sounds different, it looks different, because he wouldn't have had Matthew's copy in front of him, because, you know we can get into how the Bible is formed some other time, but like that just wasn't how it would have worked. And so he's drawing on the oral tradition of like, these are, these are what make up Jesus's teachings and he's writing them to this community. Because Paul understands that for Jesus, when it comes to the Sermon on the, on the Mount, Jesus is pointing to what life in the age to come can look like and how we can be people of the age to come right here, right now, how we can live into this age to come in this present moment, in this present age that we find ourselves in. And Paul says, if we're going to be an alternative community with an alternative ethic, living into an alternative story, then it needs to be the alternative Jesus story that we get our, um, motivation from. So that's Romans 12 and, uh, that's Romans for us. Um, but I think, uh, if you find yourself sitting there asking the question, so what? (laughs) Uh, I think that's a very fair question, uh, And I think the so what uh, of Romans 12 and of Romans as a whole is the whole thing that we've been talking about this morning. That the church is meant to be an alternative community with an alternative ethic living into the alternative Jesus story. I think this is the so what of Romans 12, of Romans, of Christianity as a whole. Like this thing that we've given ourselves to. Like we're called to be part of an alternative community that um, looks different than all of the other communities around us. Uh, this, this community that Paul's writing to was made up of Jew and Gentile, which didn't happen. <laughs> there was hostility and animosity among these groups of people. And historians note that, like, regardless of their own sort of like, theological beliefs, whether they're, it, it, whether they're a, a theist or an atheist at all, something happened in the first century with the church. And groups of people who never associated with one another began to associate with one another. And so this is where Paul comes in and says that there is um, neither uh, Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male or female. Because like in this community, we are all one in Christ. It's an alternative community. And to live into this alternative community, you need an alternative ethic that doesn't... um, Uh, respond to the other as skeptical but instead sees love as the highest law, the highest calling that doesn't return evil for evil but returns good in the face of evil, that associates with others who don't have status just for the fact that they're a human being created in God's image. And all of this, if it's going to sustain for something like 2,000 years, it can't just be an alternative ethic or an alternative community, but it needs to be rooted in an alternative story that's different than the story of human history all around us that uh, gets shaped in the form of violence and coercion and uh, manipulation and exploitation in us versus them. It needs to be rooted in a story that looks alternative and different to that, a story that looks like a self-giving, other-oriented, sacrificial love story that we see in the life of Jesus. The so what to Romans 12, the so what to Romans, the so what to this way of Jesus as a whole, I think is this idea that the church is meant to be an alternative community with an alternative ethic living into the alternative Jesus story because this this has the power to like bring me out of my own story and bring me into a better, more beautiful story that's good for me, that's good for others. I think it has the power to do the same for you and for us as we do this together. And I think that this has the power to then like bubble over into the rest of the world around us and to be something that we might call good news. So my friends, uh, my hope and prayer is that we can do this. (laughs) That God's spirit would empower us, that we could be this alternative community with an alternative ethic, living into the alternative Jesus story. Knowing that it's good news for us and the world around us. Amen.